Shalom and welcome to this week's Kadima Talk. We're going to share on servanthood and serving. Some 3,000 years ago, there was a revolution, a radical paradigm shift that occurred in Israel's leadership. King Saul still reigned as king of a unified Israeli nation, but he had sinned against Adonai. God's presence, his spirit had departed from King Saul, yet he was still anointed to be the king, though his days were numbered. In the body of believers today, there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion regarding anointing and what it means. I've shared this several times. The terms anointed is misused, misunderstood, and out of context. What does it mean to be anointed? Anointing has various uses associated with it. Those various issues, understandings, and applications are bound together in that each involves the application of olive oil being rubbed on the person or object being anointed. Anointing is to be consecrated, to be sanctified, to be set apart for service. When you're anointed, you're anointed. What happened with Shaul or Saul is that the presence of God departed from him, not the anointing. The anointing is the calling out to do a specific purpose for the kingdom of God. A young Saul was anointed by Shmuel in 1 Samuel 9, verses 15 and 16. The day before Shaul, Saul arrived, Adonai had given Shmuel a revelation. Verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the territory of Benjamin of Benjamin, and you're to anoint Meshach, which is to smear, rub, anoint, spread a liquid, to consecrate, the root word for Mashiach. You're to anoint him prince over my people Israel. He will save my people from the power of the Philistines because I've seen my people's situation and their cry of distress has come to me. The articles in the Mishkan, the temple, Aaron and his sons as high priests were all Meshach. They were all anointed for service. They were all consecrated unto Adonai. Anointing is performed by pouring or rubbing or smearing of olive oil upon the person or the item. Mashiach means the anointed one and refers to Yeshua the Messiah. In the Greek, it's Krios, which is the root word for Christo, which means anointed one in Greek or in the English, Christ 1 Samuel 16 records David being chosen as the next king by Samuel, who anointed David with that special olive oil from a horn, the same exact way Saul had been anointed by Shmuel. It didn't mean David was king when he got anointed. It meant he was consecrated, set aside for the service of king unto Adonai as the future king of Israel. The anointing is commonly confused with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and God's glory. Either I'm anointed by God to be a rabbi or I'm not. The anointing can't increase or decrease. It's simply anointed or not. A young David was anointed by Shmuel to be king of Israel, but not until Adonai dealt with Saul and removed him from his position. This took some 15 to 17 years. In the meantime, Saul's jealousy raged against David. Saul sought to kill David. This was a transition time between kingdom power bases when Saul was on the way out and David was preparing to come into his reign. Those citizens of Israel who were attuned to God, heard Adonai's voice, and were attentive, knew what was unfolding. People started flocking into David, as recorded in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1. Following are the men who joined David at Ziklag, while he was still being kept away from Saul, the son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him fight his battles. Some 340,822 soldiers were eventually in David's army at Ziklag, not including those who supported David from afar. This staggering number not only attested David's moral support, but is striking regarding the number who traveled from afar to demonstrate it. They came to serve 
the new king. We're in a similar paradigm shift. A similar transition is occurring today. The presence of God is departing from mainstream religion. Apostasy, estrangement, rebellion, general rejection of God is or has caused his presence to depart from many places today. When we talk about servanthood or serving, what what does that mean? Well, when we talk about this, we mean more than just doing work for someone else. After all, people who aren't connected with Yeshua, they can still serve. People can do good deeds for others, but this is not what we mean by servanthood. People can also serve out of wrong motives to gain self-worth, to call attention to themselves, to assuage guilt, you know, etc. Serving from wrong motives is not servanthood. Servanthood is a humble, obedient reliance on the Father, birthed by an awareness of his unconditional love, which is expressed by action to benefit others and carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Servanthood may involve a menial or hidden task, but it may also involve a very public deed done without concern for one's reputation or personal gain. As we are in a transition of power bases, the world's power base is is departing and a new king is coming. Those who are attuned, those who hear the voice of the Lord are flocking to the new kingdom base, the messianic base in preparation for the new king, Yeshua, who will reign in the messianic age, the messianic kingdom. Like those amazing warriors, men and women, like Nahor's widow, Abigail, who married David, of renown, of character, integrity, honor, they're warriors and pioneers. There's one peculiar group here I want to focus upon. First Chronicles 12, verse 32 says, Of the descendants of Issachar, men who understood, vana, which is understanding, discernment, faculty, knowledge, or wisdom, and the times, et, which means time, occurrence, timing of an event, prepared, ready, and knew what Israel ought to do. They were 200 leaders, and all their kinsmen were under their command. When God ends one season, Saul's reign was coming to an end and begins another. David was soon to take his reign. Adonai has to end or destroy the old previous institutions. The leaders, the men of Issachar, had discernment. They understood the epoch of time in which they lived. They were prepared. They were ready for the transition. They recognized and perceived. They acknowledged not what they should do, But what Israel should do, they knew that the previous institutions and structures were ending, that Adonai was initiating a new season with a new king and new institutions. Ishakar means recompense. God has given me, as Leah proclaimed upon his birth, as he was the ninth, nine represents the real Chakodesh, the son of Jacob, and the fifth son of Leah. The tribe of Ishakar were positioned strategically on the east side of the Mishkan or the Oab Moed with Judah and Zebulon. Zebulon the tenth, which means hand of God in Hebrew, son of Jacob, and the sixth and last son of Leah meant dwelling or habitation. Zebulon was the tribe of war, ships, and trade. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. His name meant may he God be praised. Judah prophetically was always destined to go first as the war tribe that would conquer. These three tribes are the warriors of praise that God has given through Yeshua. The tribes were in tremendous conflict and transition in First Chronicles 12. There is two anointed kings in Israel. The heavenly government was in transition, in turmoil, in the middle of great change. Israel was transitioning from the government of the house of Saul to the government of the house of David. Issachar would have great insight on how to make this shift. The incoming king David was a man of justice, like Avraham and Moses before him. He was a man after God's own heart. Unlike Saul, 
David possessed great intimacy, a great awareness, recognition, submission, service to Adonai. His time in the wilderness guarding his father's flock trained him how to serve Adonai in trust, in power, in praise, worship, and in love. What does a national leader, a king, look like who has placed Adonai as the ruler of his life? He was fully aware of his need for intimacy with Abba Father, with Adonai. Again, he was a man after God's own heart. David knew how to worship. He was consumed by desire, a zealous hunger for Adonai, for his word, for his presence. His only request of God when confronted by Nathan regarding his sin with Bathsheba was his pleading and begging that Adonai's presence not depart from him. Unlike Saul, David was quick to confess and repent of his wrongdoings of his sins. He also purposed himself to serve, to serve Adonai, to serve others. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, he served Israel by protecting his nation from enemy raids and attacks. He served those who stayed with the women and children while the others fought. He served Adonai with unbridled passion as he danced before him. In 1 Chronicles 12, verse 38, all these soldiers who were experienced in war came to Hebron wholeheartedly to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest from Israel were single-hearted in wanting to make David king. We conclude from the list of warriors who joined David and Ziklag that this ragtag team was diverse, loyal, humble, hungry for victory, and came to serve. What did David do to produce such a mighty army? He served them. One, he was relational. David's personable, approachable manner and humility enticed hundreds of misfit volunteers to serve him. David accepted all. Two, he was resourceful. David made use of every situation and got the best out of it, even in the wilderness. He empowered his team to become all it could be and enabled it to succeed. Three, he was rewarding. David quickly shared both rewards and recognition for victory. He affirmed his men and motivated them with words of encouragement and the spoils from the battles. Four, he was respectable. David modeled a servant leader style that Yeshua himself modeled. David's friends and foes alike respected him. People saw in David a profound example of servant leadership. Here's the foundational key regarding the men of Issachar, leaders who knew what Israel should do. Matthew 20, verse 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Diakono, Eo in the Greek, to be a servant, attendant, to serve, to wait upon, to render, ministering to, to take care of, to sustain life, to take care of the poor and the sick. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakonio, and to give all his life as a ransom for many. Why did Yeshua come 2,000 years ago? To serve. Why did over 340,000 warriors, men of renown, come to David and Ziklag? To serve. In Saul's own words, Yeshua appeared to him during his road to Damascus encounter to do what? In Acts 26, verse 16, he said, But get up and stand on your feet, I have appeared to you to appoint you to serve and to bear witness to what you have already seen of me and to what you will see when I appear to you in the future. This was Paul, his Shaul's uh, road to Damascus encounter when Yeshua profoundly revealed himself when Paul was coming against Messianic believers and persecuting them. He told him, get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you to serve. Hoop A read ace in the Greek, servant subordinate to serve. In fact, if we go back to one of the earliest scriptural mentions of service, we see they're commanded by Adonai to serve in Exodus 23, verse 25. You are to serve 
Avad, work, serve, to work for another in the Hebrew, work another by labor, to serve as subjects, to serve Adonai, to make oneself a servant. So Avad in Hebrew, you are to Avad, serve Adonai your God, and he will bless your food and water, and I will take sickness away from among you. Here's what's amazing. Service is the core tenet, the core foundation of love. When you serve Adonai, he will bless your provision and heal you. He will take away your disease. Psalms 2 verse 11, serve, avad, same word, serve Adonai with fear, rejoice, but with trembling. Listen, as we move on in this, something that really struck me about this, which is very profound, is that we're commanded, we are commanded Listen to me, love is not emotion, it's not sweaty palms, uh, it, it's not the uh, release of the chemicals into our body with a rapid heart rate and we begin to sweat and our pupils dilate. Love is a command. We are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Not when things are going well, not when things are not going well. We are commanded, it's an order to love the Lord your God. You choose to love. And how do we develop and build that love? It's done through service. The highest marriage success rate in the world, are you ready for this, is among those whose parents arranged the marriage. Can you believe that? That is counterculture to everything that we understand and, and see in our media and movies and reading books today in America. But the reality is the highest marriage success rate in the world is among those whose parents arranged the marriage. True success isn't the individual picking whom they think is the perfect match. It's two people who don't know each other serving each other. That builds love. One of my favorite movies, Fiddler on the Roof, there's an incredibly powerful scene where they're preparing to come into Shabbat and halfway through the movie here, it's between Tevye and his wife, Golda. And he asks Golda, do you love me? And her reply isn't, yes, of course. Her reply is, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes, I've cooked your meals, I've cleaned your house. And Tevi comes back and he says, but Golda, do you love me? And she replies, do I love you? I get the water, I've raised your children, I've borne your babies. He said to Goldie, Tevi said, do you love me? And she says, I suppose I do. And, he, and this is a song. It's a very beautiful scene. And it replies back, then I suppose that I love you too. Coming through an arranged marriage by service one to another, they have come to develop a profound, deep, intimate love for each other through service. Here's the key to this. Are you ready? You will love those whom you serve. We're to have love for one another. We're commanded to love. Love thy brother as thyself. But how does this manifest in the greater body? It's done through service. You will love those whom you serve. Are you having marital problems? Serve your spouse. You having work difficulties? Serve your boss. Are you in a dry zone in the kingdom? Have you plateaued? Serve Adonai. It's our ultimate purpose and destiny. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 9, talking about Yeshua, said, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself and that he took the form of a slave, doulos in the Greek, a slave, a servant. 
a bondman devoted to one another to the disregard of one's own desires. Yeshua, the Son of God, emptied himself and that he took the form of a slave, a doulos, that he devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. By becoming like human beings are, and when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even unto death. Death on a stake on the cross as a criminal. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. Hey, listen, we all know we're at war. We're at an eternal war between light and darkness. We're in a cultural war of morality and righteousness. As servants of the Most High God whom we serve, we are his beacons of light and hope. We are the hope in the face of hopelessness. As John 3.16 states, God so loved the world that he sent his only son who served us in love by dying for us as our sacrifice, even yet while we were still in sin, still estranged from God. Galatians 5 verses 13 and 14, for brothers, you were called to be free. Only do not let that freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to have its way. Instead, serve one another in love. You want to be a leader in the Messianic realm? Serve one another in love. You want to be a leader in your community? Serve one another in love. You want to obtain leadership in some organization or move ahead and make a difference in this world? Serve one another in love. 